Have you ever wondered why some young people choose to end their lives? Ever wondered who they are and who they left behind? Have you ever wanted to hear their stories? Would you like answers to these questions and many more? Welcome to Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu. Her mission is to shine light on these young people, create awareness for, and educate the world on youth suicide. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Dr. Lulu and her guests. They are not a substitute for professional advice. If you are experiencing suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-TALK or send a text to www.crisistextline.org. Now, here's Dr. Lulu. Hello and welcome back to Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu, the podcast. Believe it or not, I know you can't see me, you don't even know this, but I'm going to tell you. I am recording for the first time ever at 7.35 p.m. on November 3rd. But the lady that I'm interviewing is at 9.35 a.m. on November 4th because she's in Australia. Oh, my goodness. And her name is Bronwyn Shortino. Thank you so much for joining us. This is just ah, amazing. It's crazy. How are you? Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, hi, Dr. Lulu. Welcome to the future. I know exactly. That is so good. (laughs) Indeed, indeed, indeed. This is going to go down in infamy because I have interviewed a couple of people in in Africa, but it's usually in the morning, so it's afternoon for them, or in the afternoon, so it's evening for them. But never have I done this, so I'm really like just excited to say the least. So thank you so much for gracing our pages today. Sadly, we're going to be talking about suicide, which is not a very fun thing. But the good news is my second, not good news, but the news is I learned about suicide in Australia because of my second book. It's called A Teen's Life. And of course, it's available on Amazon. But in that book, I learned about Australia and your suicide epidemic. I had no idea. As a matter of fact, in 2018, yes? Oh no, it was 2019. In January of 2019, you had in, I want to say it was Adelaide County, if there's such a place, Adelaide, something like that. Oh, Adelaide City? There you go. One of the rural areas around there they had a suicide cluster. They had nine kids aged 15 and under, if I'm not mistaken, die within 21 days. And one of them actually made the cut to my book. And she makes the cut to most of my talks that I give. Because, and I know I won't remember her name. Of course I won't. But because she made a post on social media, and I hope I remember her before this is over, and she said, maybe after I'm gone, the bullying and the racism will stop. Those were her words, and I'll find her before this is over. But that, that she makes it to most of my talks because I was just like, oh my freaking God, how is this possible? But yes, she sure did. She sure did. So welcome. Thank you so much because I don't think I don't think I've had any Australians yet on my podcast ever. I have been on a podcast with someone in Australia, but I haven't had any two people, but I haven't had any Australian guests. So you are definitely we're going to open the highway for all the Australians to come in, which would be awesome. So where do you want to begin, ma'am? Where do you want to begin? Well, I guess a great place to start is sort of um, talking about my story a little bit. Uh, And, you know, I was in the corporate world for almost two decades, uh, you know, pushed myself really hard for a long, long time uh, and then broke spectacularly. 
uh, and just the level of stress and exhaustion and burnout that was fueling that, um, I had no idea that there was nothing normal about that. And I think, you know, one of the greatest pressures that we see in life now is this overload of stress and burnout and the overwhelm that comes with that. And the way that we're now seeing that really uh, start to come through in the younger generations in particular. Uh, you know, when I think about when I was at school, you know, we all have our challenges, we all have our things that we face. Um, you know, I never, ever felt like I fit in when I was at school. I always felt like I was sort of running on the edges of everything. Uh, and, you know, I was part of teams, but I was part of teams because I was good at sport or I was, you know, I had a good singing voice, so I was in the choir or I was part of the bands, but I never, ever felt like I was a member, like I was, you know, accepted. It was like I was, um, you know, tolerated. Uh, and even though I'm sure if I spoke to some of the, the people that were in those groups that they would say that they felt really differently, that's how I felt. Uh, and so I think, you know, there was nowhere near the pressure in life that we're seeing in today's life. You know, I didn't have social media when I was growing up. I didn't have that really highly visible presence. Uh, and, you know, it, I just feel like these days things are, you know, so, so everything's so much more heightened and the speed of life is so much faster and the, the longer that we live in that environment, the further we get dragged away and the more quickly we get dragged away from who we actually are. And a lot of the stuff that I learned in my recovery, um, you know, from my breakdown, uh, was all about that stress and burnout and exhaustion and the role that it plays in life and how that drives us to physical and um, mental and emotional ill health. Uh, you know, so I spend every day now teaching people there's a really different way to live. Uh, and it is, you know, so important for us to get this message into our younger generations so that they can really learn from a younger age that stress doesn't equal success. Stress actually just makes life harder. Uh, and, you know, if we can really understand physiologically what that's doing to us and the connection with mental health, then maybe we can actually stop some of the, um, you know, the suicides that are occurring because uh, there's less pressure in life and so people can actually live in a really different way. So, but do you want to tell us a little bit, just maybe a little bit more of your story? I try to find her and I can't. I know her name, her first name was Rochelle. I just remember that. Her first name was Rochelle. She was one of five five to nine kids and in Perth, Australia, Adelaide. I mean, it was just crazy. I, I remember that just being so shocked that apparently, and, you know, they thought it was just the Aborigines, but it turned out that it's not just them. It's higher amongst them, but it's not just them. And as a, as a matter of fact, January 2019, they had a lot of news flashes saying that youth suicide in Australia was at a crisis point. I was like, oh, my God, you know. It's like, where do you quench? Which fire do you want to quench? Because I thought it was bad here amongst the black kids. And I thought it was bad here amongst the Hispanics. Oh, wait, it's bad amongst the Nigerian kids. Like, it's in the Indian kids. But apparently it's just the youth. So it's almost like there's going to be no youth left in the future, you know, if things continue going the way they are going. Mm -hmm. So what exactly happened with you and how old were you when it happened? I um, didn't actually have an attempt on my life, but I, I have had the thoughts my entire life around it would just be easier. It would be so much easier. Life would be so much less painful, um, you know, to, uh, to not have to be here anymore, you know. Um, so it's from, and somewhere within me I've found a strength to actually move through that. Um, but I, and I remember right before my breakdown, it you know, my thoughts were it would have to be easier just to, you know, go and completely break down and end up in a mental institution somewhere and be drugged to the eyeballs, you know, because that would have to be easier. And, you know, when life gets to that point, where's, where's the trigger within us that says it's time to stop, it's time to do things differently? We, it's like we get trapped in this spiral of life that just, almost forces us it's like a whirlpool that you get stuck in and you're just forced to keep going round and round and round and round 
and you know it, it is so painful and life is you know so fast and so out of control that it just feels like you haven't got time to think that there might be a different way that you could do it that you know I think we're taught that change is so hard that trying to do something differently seems to be harder than the situation that you're in and I and that's why I do the work that I do because you know, having had my entire life collapse and having to rebuild piece by piece, I understand that there are so many things that we can do so simply and so easily now um, to live in a really different way and we can drop the pressure out of life and we can experience life in a really different way. So was it, I mean, and I don't know how specific you want to get, but was it some kind of trauma in your childhood that caused it? Was it familial because apparently there's something called chronic familial suicidality i didn't ever knew about that until i met a gentleman who indeed has that and then i met another girl who and then i was like okay so it's a thing but is it something that actually happened to you or i mean what uh, when 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 was the er, your earliest memory of feeling suicidal even if you never acted on it when was your earliest memory yeah i think i was probably about nine or ten and it was just the pain of not fitting in and it was not fitting in anywhere. Uh, were you and, being bullied then? Were you, spe- were you specifically bullied? Uh, I just think uh, for me... that was What was not fitting in? What yeah, was it? For me, people never ever saw me as I was. There was always some form of projection or... Um, you know, I was always so much bigger than everybody else. I was really tall um, and, you know, I was always head and shoulders above everybody else. And so I always felt like I stood out. Um, uh, I had, I had, uh, I really felt, I'm really quite sensitive in terms of empathetic. So I felt it when other people were in pain. Uh, and, you know, when, you know, if somebody else was being bullied, I would feel like I needed to step in, stand in front and take the pain for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was always, you know, you would always, and then you'd be seen as a, as a bully yourself, right, because you stood up to people and because I was bigger than people, um, you know, it was always like I was the I was the ice queen or I was the, you know, and I think it was just because I was taking the pain, you know, I was just trying to stop everyone else from hurting but the pain that caused to me was so significant that I didn't want to be here anymore you know it's funny you said that because just in my studies and research and just reading and I do have a book my fourth book is called what if my child is a bully coming up hopefully by now I put it up to valentine's day because I just can't I can't do it right now but while I was looking at that, I realized that, and I know most people don't know this, both the bully and the victim and the bystander, or maybe in your case, you are an upstander. All the rest of you are. Well, I mean, I guess I haven't seen where any, they didn't say anything about upstanders, but, I, but I've seen where all three of them have mental health issues down the line, including suicide. But as an, which I think you were an upstand, up, upstander, but I think it's also a combination of maybe emotionally, you were also like really involved in it. And I'm like that. I'm an empath, you know, big time. I'm an includer actually is what my top five personality traits and includer is one of them. And so I will be the one saying, no, no, wait, what about so-and-so? No, no, let's go back and get them. No, no, I don't know. I, I am that kind of so. And it's also my son's like, oh, mom, you're an empath, an empath, an empath. Well, it is what it is. You know, I do feel other people's pain and sometimes it's to my own detriment. I feel pain for people who don't want me to feel pain for them. And I still feel pain for them. So I I hear that. I hear that. But, hmm. I mean, did you ever talk to your parents? I mean, how did you handle it? Or you just kept it to yourself? Were your siblings also tall? Were your parents tall? And are you tall now? I mean, I don't know. Um, Yeah, so I handled it by internalizing it. Uh, and I turned into a perfectionist. So the facade for me was all about everything's under control, um, nothing can touch me. Um, it was all about strength. Um, you know, I definitely didn't talk to my parents about it, absolutely did not talk to my parents about it. Um, you know, they say in a family of 
uh, three children, there's two against one while I was the one. So didn't talk to siblings, any of that sort of stuff. Um, uh, yeah, I, yes, I am still tall, so I'm five nine. Um, so, uh, you know, that's something I've had to overcome, but I think also because I internalized and I felt so much pain and I put up that barrier of perfectionism, then I started to step into this struggle with I'm not good enough. So, you know, and it was all about the facade, you know, so everything's under control and behind the facade, I was absolutely punishing myself because I wasn't good enough. So then that started, that triggered the next challenge to overcome and and move through life in a different way around that as well. Did you ever maybe cut? I know a lot of kids who are trapped in that circle of or that ring of I'm not good enough, but I, maybe I'm good enough. I want to help, but then I'm still not good enough. But I help them, then I'm not good. They start. They have. They have to find an outlet, and a lot of them start cutting, or of course they become anorectic or you know something. I don't know. Did you do anything like that? No. So I was really lucky. I grew up in Tasmania which is this is sort of a small island at the bottom of Australia and it's one of the most pristine natural environments. And so my outlet was getting out with my animals into, into nature. That's amazing because my wife is like that. You know, she's all about her animals. I mean, I don't know if you can hear our birds in the, in the house. They always start talking when I start talking. We have a dog, and then she's all she's trying to get another dog and about her animals. And she also was kind of like a felt like she was the other child <laughs> when she was growing up. She was kind of similar to you in the sense that she was like, I don't know, I don't really belong. And she was tall. She's still tall. So I, I kind of see a lot of similarity with that. And then, of course, she lost a brother to suicide. So that was huge. And then she went to endure a, a, a war in her country. Yeah. It was pretty, she had a rough upbringing. I, have to, I mean, not in the home, but just... Growing up, it was a lot mm. of around her. Bless her heart. Wow. So today, I'm just kind of fast forwarding a little bit. So your work in the mental health arena now, are you working with children or adults or just everybody? Yeah, it's interesting. My first book was written as part of my recovery. So Keep It Super Simple, Tips from a Recovering Perfectionist was my first book. What's it called? And that, Keep It Super Simple. Tips from a Recovering Perfectionist. Uh, and that was, um, that came about because as part of my counselling with my breakdown, they discovered that I was terrified of writing anything personal down because somebody might be able to use that as evidence against me that I wasn't perfect. You know, I'd created this lovely little complex spiral around that and, and held this terror inside and so, you know, when you're in that counselling environment, you come across something like that and, and it becomes your homework. So, you know, I went home with the homework of, you know, needing to start journaling and uh, it took me three weeks to write one word on a page. I was so, so scared of it. And um, out of that came my first book. And as that went out into the world, people started saying, this is amazing, this is incredible, This, which the world needs this, how else can we work with you? Uh, and so suddenly it was like, can you come and do a workshop? Can you do a keynote? Can you um, do leadership development work? Can you work with me one-on-one -on -one with mentoring? Uh, and I found myself, you know, accidentally as an entrepreneur with this global business, uh, you know, with, with people wanting to, do, to work with me in all these different ways. Uh, and I was still only about halfway through my recovery at that point, so I was still really fragile and then had the load of how do I how do I start and run this global business while I'm still not okay myself? So I had to create this um, platform of simplicity that really just supported the structure of my life, allowed me to be constantly looking after me, massive amounts of self-compassion, uh, and really creating a really strong value around what my health and well-being meant and where that fits in and how that fits into my day. So originally I started working with um, predominantly, you know, that 30 to 55-year-old age group. And then what happened was that my books just morphed out and suddenly I had, you know, 18-year-old to 70-year-olds 
And then last year around Christmas time, what started to happen was mums started buying the books for their teenage daughters. Um, and, uh, you know, because they want their teenage daughters to have this information so that they can start to really move forward in a different way. So it's, it's morphed. It's gone from being something that was for, you know, the, the corporate 30 to 55 year old. And now it's just got this, this wide span of people and that second generation that, that's sort of diving in and jumping in and, and really starting to absorb the wisdom in the books. Wow. First of all, congratulations on the book. It's not easy to, to write a book. Keep it super simple. I'll definitely look for that and put the link in the show notes. There's no question about that. And I was going to go back and so just something you mentioned earlier on about people reaching out to you even while you were in recovery. And that reminds me of what Brene Brown said. And I don't know, I'm just going to paraphrase it. Something about if you're not ready, if you're not healed yet, you really should not start sharing because of the triggers and it, you know of whatever but but the point she was trying to make is that you if you're not ready yet you know you should not do it just because you know of whatever you should do it only when you're fully healed because it takes a lot you know and i know you said at the beginning that well you know you've already been telling your story so many times so you're good telling it but i but i do understand also when you were not ready to tell it you know and then people are like well you need to tell it you need to tell it so have you written any more books? Yeah, so um, my second book is The Economy of Enough. Okay. And my third, The Economy of Enough. Enough, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And my third book is Beyond Aha. Um, and I've also got an online program called Keep It Super Simple, Keep it Super Simple for Busy Professional Women. Uh and that is almost uh, an extension of Keep It Super Simple and The Economy of Enough. Uh, and I'm currently starting the process to write my fourth book. And um, I've also got my second platform that's coming as well. So you're definitely busy. I mean, there's no doubt. And thank God you were, you, you were able to overcome. So essentially, your path towards overcoming was... I guess self-acceptance. At, at what point did you did you become did you accept that okay, I'm actually enough? Was it as a teen, as a young adult, or now? When did you make that transition? Yeah, uh, for me, it was through my recovery from my breakdown. How long ago uh, was that? Um, seven years ago now. Yeah, wow. um, so, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and up until that point, I, up until the point of my breakdown, I, I spent my entire life doing everything for everyone else. I, I ticked the boxes. I, you know, you need to do this. You have to have that. You've got to be educated this way. You have to live in this place. You have to drive this car. Like every box was ticked. I did everything I was supposed to do. And yet I broke spectacularly um, because I was, I was driving myself and punishing myself along the way because I wasn't good enough. And, you know, one of the major learnings that I got from my recovery, you know, from having that breakdown was that I had gone so far off the pathway of who I really was when I was looking after everybody else's expectations and doing what everyone else said that was, was right for me and what I was, you know, what was appropriate, how intelligent I was for this as opposed to that, all of those sorts of things. Uh, and, and, you know, when I looked in the mirror after my breakdown, I was terrified of what was looking back at me because I just didn't recognize it. Yeah. Um, I had no recognition whatsoever of the vision that was coming back at me from the mirror. Uh, and so for me, one of the most healing processes through that uh, recovery, you know, stage was actually being able to put the pieces back together in a way that truly resembled who I was. Uh, you know, I didn't have to be anyone that I didn't want to be. I could create the version of me that was perfect for me. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the things that I teach now is there are really simple steps to reconnecting and finding yourself. Um, there's really simple steps to understanding who you are and what you need and, you know, your unique energy in the world and how you can actually connect with that and create the life that's perfect and tailor-made for you around that. 
Um, you know, and in a lot of ways, sure, I could have learned that lesson at a really younger age, mm-hmm. but I feel really blessed to have learned it at the age that I had because it was still at a really young age. Um, you know, I wasn't in my teens, but I also wasn't in my 80s on my deathbed, exactly. you know, so um, now I get to teach that around the world and so many people, you know, when they see my work and they read my books and, you know, it's, you know, this is my Bible and I'm taking this everywhere with me. I don't leave home without it because something happens in my day and, you know, I just flip, flip open the book and even if the answer's not in there, something in there will trigger me to get to the answer. Um, and all of my work is around finding your own answers for yourself because our life goes off track when we ask everybody else what it is that we should do. And that is a classic work of a coach. So I guess it goes without saying that you probably are a coach. Um, not so much coaching. I do mentoring. Um, I'm highly intuitive. So, uh, you know, people always say to me, oh, you know, you've changed my life. And it's like, well, I actually can't change anything for you. All I can do is ask you the questions that can help you to change your life yourself. Um, and for me, you know, I'm so lucky that my intuition is so incredibly high and the questions come to me when I'm talking to someone. And so I just naturally get given the question that they need to be asked in the time. And um, that question then opens up the ability for them to answer, you know, the questions for themselves. That's amazing. That's amazing. So what are the steps so that they're simple steps what are those steps that the listeners can follow to discover themselves what what are the steps can you share those with us yeah i guess everybody's unique and everybody's individual so it really depends on where you're at what 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 are the things that are really stressing you out um and also what are the things that you're making your life really busy with uh, you know, I think we have, you know, especially in this highly visible world now, we have this drive to be able to prove constantly, uh, you know, how busy we are. And we only want to be busy so that we can show the world what we're achieving, what we're doing. And it feels and, you know, gives us the uh, the feeling that we're keeping up. Uh, and actually, the busyness, the more you attach to the busyness, the more you create this situation where you'll end up off track trying to do things that just make you look good instead of the things that you um, are really connected to, the things that are really important to you. Um, So one of the first things I would say is create your values, understand what's really important to you and then start to align what you do with your values. Um, There's a really great exercise and keep it super simple around busyness Um, and that exercise helps you to actually write down the things that you're busy doing because, you know, so many of us are happy to say, I'm so busy, but there's very few of us who will actually step in and say, well, hang on, what am I busy doing? What am I actually doing? Um, And then um, very few people, again, would step further than that and say, well, am I actually happy Do I like what these things are? Do I like the impact that they have in my life? Do they give me energy? Do they take energy away from me? Um, And when people step into that exercise and have a look, people are really shocked at just how much of their life is made up of stuff that they really can't stand. It makes them miserable. It's constantly draining their energy. Uh, And then they wonder why they're exhausted and stressed and overwhelmed and all of those Mm -hmm. things. So, um, you know, that busy exercise then gives you the opportunity to say, well, okay, if I could take one thing off that I really don't like this list and put one thing on that I really do like, how would I do that? And and here's a few steps that I can take to be able to do that. Um, Everything is always about moving out of overwhelm and down into individual little steps that are easy to implement, easy to bring into your life, because then you also overcome that absolute terror of change. Thank you so much. I, I think there's something that definitely resonated with me. Doing things that make you feel good versus doing things that make you look good. I love that. I don't, I don't think, I, I mean, I think I know that, but I don't think I've ever thought about it that way. So that's, that's one. And so what are you actually doing? Oh my goodness, that is so important because this is the age of everybody being on the video games. I mean, all rather social media. I mean, just because you're sitting at your desk for six, six, 11 hours doesn't mean that you're getting all the things done. I know for me, I'm just going to be the first to say I have my little 
my little um, journal thing here that I write down everything I have to do. And at the end of the day, I go back and see. And I say to myself, well, if I did 7 out of 10, that's not too bad. And I give myself credit because it could have been 3 out of 10. But I'm always like, if I, if I do less than 5 out of 10, then I tell myself, okay, maybe I wasn't supposed to do it. And see, I just rationalize with it. I say, okay, maybe I'll do the rest tomorrow. But tomorrow, I have a new list of things to do. So what do you advise for people like me who today, for instance, I did two things that were not on my list at all. One of them was this podcast because I forget about it. <laughs> but I'm, 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 what's the word, rationalizing because I need to do my podcast. So that's, you know, I did it, whatever. And you're all the way there and we know why we're doing it now because of time. So that's one. But I did um, one, two, three, four, five, six out of 10 things today. So should I feel like I accomplished much or what do you think? What should I do? I think there's a much kinder way to actually look at your to-do list. A to-do list is a reminder of things that are are out there for us to do and to step into. Uh, And sometimes sometimes they're things that we have to do, right, because there are things in life that we have to do. Um, There's two things. Firstly, um, I would ask what on your to-do list is for you? What, what on your to-do list is specifically there to give you energy, to refuel your energy tank, right? So that's the first question. The second, the second thing, second thing I would say is, um, embrace your to-do list because if we don't have a to-do list, then that's an indication that, you know, there's actually nothing for us to do in life. I think people get really, anxious about their in-tray at work. I've got so much to do. There's so much in my in-tray. And they feel like they have to just constantly push through and they have to work really hard. And and if the in-tray is not empty at the end of the day, then they've let themselves down somehow. But I would say the kind of way to look at the in-tray or the to-do list or however you want to characterise it is while ever there's things in the in-tray, there's something for us to contribute. There's something for us to do. And, you know, your in-tray for work, for example, you want that to have stuff in it because if there's not stuff in it, then there's a question over whether or not you've got a job, right? So, you know, embrace it. Uh, You know, to-do lists are a reminder for us to help us remember all the things that we have to do in an extraordinarily um, rapid and, you know, high-speed life. It's a trigger for us to not forget things that potentially are really important that need to get done. Um, You know, I I know I read a uh, research, um, the survey results of a research um, late last year, and it showed that um, most uh, adults, working adults, so over 60% of adults in the workforce believe that they're not productive over 50% of every day that they're at work. I believe it. Um, you know, so that's a direct correlation of the way that we live life, the levels of stress, our ability for our minds to actually be um, involved on an ongoing basis, right? Because most of us live our life draining energy from an already empty tank. And that's why my first question to you was, where on your to-do list is that thing for you today that gives you energy today? Um, you know, I, I have in my diary non-negotiable time every day at the start of my day uh, that is for me and there are activities that give me energy. They allow me to set my day up fully fueled so that I can go out there and have so much more to give to everybody else because I am actively, consciously refueling my energy every single day. That is the only non-negotiable time in my diary. Um, oh, everything else, everything have, else is possible. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said that. I don't have it on my to-do list, but certainly I walk about an hour every day, but that's, that's not written down. And yeah, the things on my to-do list are the things to do with my business or I don't know, my patients yep. clients or whatever. I don't know. But yeah, but I do, I think I understand what you're saying. So it's almost like the to-do list you're referring to is not quite the one physical to-do list is more like to-do list as far as for you for self-care and for yeah right but it should be on your to-do list you know things like that yeah yeah you know our diaries rule our life 
So why aren't you in your diary? Why aren't you in there with a dedicated time that is for you to recharge your energy so that you've got energy to give to the world? Um, You know, I think we feel like our to-do list has to be about everybody else, but the number one thing on our to-do list should be about us first. I love that. Um, You know, I spent my entire life giving everything to everybody else and I ended up on the floor in a million pieces. You know, when I rebuilt my life, I decided that I wanted to do that in a way that would support me as well. And I'm still on that journey and I'm still learning and I'm still growing self-compassion and I'm still understanding all the different ways that I do give to everybody else and how that impacts me. But there is so much more of my life now that is dedicated to looking after me as well. Uh, So there's so much more balance there. I love that. That is so powerful. That is very, that I, I hope the listeners will get that. I mean, I almost want to ask you to say that again for those at the back because there's so much on your to-do list, but which of those things is really you? Let me see if I can paraphrase it. What you said, the number one thing on your to-do list should be you. That is so powerful. That is so powerful. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that, and I probably have, but I just never really heard them. So I definitely, I got that. that. That hit the spot for me. I appreciate that. Wow, that's amazing. That's a lot of information. Like I love, and I love your voice, and I, of course, I love your accent. Any exotic accents are welcome in my ears. So that's good. So it's no surprise that you're doing what you're doing and doing so much, really, of what you're doing. So I know you had kind of given it to us earlier on, but I want to go back and ask you where can the listeners find you? Because I got the three books. Keep it, keep it super simple. The Economy of Enough, and then Beyond Aha. And then there's Keep It Super Simple for Busy Professional Women. But what about a website or, you know, social media? Where can where can the listeners connect with you, whether they're in Australia or not? Because I'm, I'm thinking now everything is virtual, right? <laughs> virtual stuff right now. Yeah, so luckily yeah. I was... We're not too hit by the virus, were you? Oh, you were. Uh, well, I'm in Perth in Western Australia. Uh, oh my god i was supposed to i got a job in perth it's amazing it's one of the most beautiful places on the Mm. earth um the uh yeah so we were we are you know to give you a reference it's like los angeles to new york and we're los angeles but we're not we're not as big as los angeles but we're kind of that sort of distance away Mm. um but there's nothing there's nothing really in the middle of Australia. So most of the population is around the coastline. Mm. And so, um, you know, we have a, a border with um, um, South Australia, um, but there's no there's no town or city or anything there. It's just this border in the middle of the desert, in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and so they locked our borders uh, very early on in the pandemic. Mm. Uh, and uh, we had... Mm, I don't know, maybe six weeks where we had sort of stay at home a little bit. You know, some of the shops were shut, but, you know, we still had hairdressers in the supermarkets, Mm -hmm. you know, bottle shops, you know, the the really essential life things, um, they were all still open. Um, So it was about six weeks of that and then everything reopened um, in a, I guess, a, a more closed type environment. So, you know, you've got the two metres square social distancing we've Mm -hmm. never had masks here um and life has pretty much gone back to normal with everything open just in sort of smaller numbers in venues and those sorts of things Mm -hmm. um the east coast like melbourne and sydney have had greater levels melbourne went into a second phase lockdown too big i thought perth yeah as a matter of fact i looked into perth i I had a friend there, maybe I didn't even know, they were sending me videos of the coast. I was like, oh, my God, I was so in love with it. Yeah. And I ended up not going. I joined the Air Force instead. And then here I am. <laughs> it, was, it was for a minute there, it was like I was going to be going to Perth. I, I, I got a job in New Zealand. I didn't really yeah. want to go to New Zealand. I wanted to go to Australia. So I got one in Perth. And I was like, I was really going to go. And then I didn't Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. But I was lucky because I was working globally before, everything was already online for me anyway. Yeah. So my, I think the greatest impact to my life was I didn't go out to yoga anymore. I did yoga at home in my office. Um, so I was really lucky from that point of view. Um, but, yeah, so people can find me at my website, which is 
chiclife.com. So S-H-E-I-Q-L-I-F-E.com. You can also find me in Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And if you just look up Bronwyn Shortino uh, in, you know, those places, uh, my groups will come up. Because I know we met on the, and then you reminded me, because I didn't even remember, on the Women Economic something on. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was good. Wow, this has been so good. So, and then definitely that is a good place for you. I mean, if you were not there already, I would have told you to go there. Because <laughs> there's lots of women there. Do you get a lot of business from, from that group? Women Economic Forum? Yeah, yeah um, lo- loads of, you know, these sorts of interactions. So podcasts. Um, I've had live TV interviews. Um, I've written some articles for different platforms. Uh, you know, the the reach and the spread, uh, you know, of my story, I guess, and the work that I do goes globally so much more quickly through those sorts of platforms. Yes. Uh, but, you know, Women Economic Forum in particular, I just yeah, love because what they do I mean, and how they I mean, do it. Like a million people in there now. There's a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people. Oh, my goodness. I know a friend of mine says, oh, my God, you have to join this. I'm like, what? I said, one more group. It's like, I'm at 254. He's like, oh, never mind. You got to get on this one. Forget everybody. Yeah. Okay. So I'm very, very excited. Thank you so much for joining us. I usually want to leave some time for you to tell us, give us like some parting words, like words of advice for the listeners. If someone is in your shoes, because I can imagine, you can imagine there are many people who feel right now that they're not enough and they're just not good enough and that's it. And, you know, that's just, that's what she wrote. So what words of advice do you have for the listeners? And then, and if you've already told us, you know, where where we can find you. So, but words of advice for the listeners, please, because you have a wealth of knowledge. Oh my goodness. I would say, you know, I get asked a lot if I'm, if there's just one thing that, you know, I could say was the greatest learning from my journey uh, and, and from recovering from, you know, having had that breakdown, you know, I get asked, what would that be? Uh, and it's really hard to say because I learned so much, right? But if there's one thing, I would say it's this. There is, you know, right now, I have the coolest life. <laughs> life is so fun. Um, and, you know, there is so much in my life that is important to me and so much of what I do fuels the things that are important to me. Um, but there's nothing I have in my life now that wasn't easily, readily and affordably available to me before I had my breakdown. Uh, it's just that I was so entrenched and wrapped up in doing the right things ticking all the boxes, being the perfect person, looking after everybody else and doing everything for everybody else that I could not see that there was a really easy way out of that where, you know, I wasn't going to impact everybody around me. Mm. Uh, You know, and what I've learnt was that all it takes is one simple step in a slightly different direction and you can significantly change the way that your life moves forward and everybody around you will be perfectly fine. I love it. And I think also, if I might add, that even if they're not, if they're not fine, it's really not up to you to quench all the fires. There's only so many fires you can quench before you get consumed. Yep. Well, you know, it's easier said than done, but it's true. I mean, you cannot quench everybody's fires. I know. Um, a friend of mine said that, you know, women generally, what did she say? We, we use up all our heat, I don't know, to heat up other people. And then we, I don't know, there's a, there's a way she used to, we get burned up, try to heat up other people or something like that. And I just thought that was so neat. And maybe not only women, but that's what she was talking about in the context of women, mm. mothers. And I, I just thought that that was just such a neat thing that she she said that yeah and i think the other way that i like to describe that too you know what they say and they're not being able to just can't keep from a place of empty but go Mm. ahead so i was gonna say the other thing that i like to say too is that we we don't think twice about stepping in and doing something for somebody else but we think a thousand times before we would do the same for ourselves 
you know, is, I wonder why that is so. I, I I don't know why that is so. You know, those who will really, really read their Bibles, they will see that many, many times Jesus will get in a boat and go to a quiet place. And that was his self-care right there. Yeah. And, um, and then we just don't go to a quiet place. Oh, no. Yeah. As I've gotten older, I've realized that every now and again, it's, it's just a bit too much for me. And so I just do less and less of TV and maybe more and more of just trying to write or just trying to go into a space where... But then again, I still need people because I'm an extrovert, but then I'm seeing that I can actually do without them and it's okay. You know, I never used to think like that. Yeah. Yeah. So actually maybe you're an ambivert with extrovert tendencies. No, I'm the queen of extrovert. But you can still be the queen but need ambivert time. Nope. Mm -mm. Okay. A little bit, honey. I'm telling you. (laughs) Maybe a little bit. And it's just because... I think I've gotten older. I'm just, I'm not, I'm 52. I'm not a spring chicken anymore. So I, you know, I, I can't do all the craziness I used to do. But, you know, once my surgery heals, honey, I'm back. You know, it's like, but I, and also my kids are gone. I'm down to one child. It's not the same. It's just a different energy. But yeah. I'm still usually, I'm still the life of the party. I'm still, you know, the black butterfly. You know, I'm fluttering all, of, all over the place all the time. And that's, that's very good for me. But slowly but surely, I'm realizing, yeah, I can still channel my energy, still as energetic, but maybe just in a different way. Um, yeah, but, but you know, I'm, and I'm sure as I get older, my dad, I think I'm just going to be like my father, who when he was my age, he was just like that. But now my dad is more just quiet. And of course, he's also older. There's always so yeah. much to do when you're older. It's been a very fun hour hanging out with you. Wow. <laughs> Do you think there's something you left out that you want to tell us? Because this has just been so interesting. Oh, I'm sure there's loads. <laughs> you know, there always is, right? You can always come back and do part two. Absolutely. You can do that. I mean, I've had people come back three or four times. I've had some guests come back. Three or, I've had one particular guy come back four times. And he's into the mind. He's into mindfulness and, and, and yoga. And, oh, my God, big time. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much in tomorrow. Oh, my God. <laughs> the future's amazing, right? <laughs> I mean, I, from what I see, right? From what I see, it's good. It's good. Thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us. So people can find you on your website. I thought that was an interesting website. What is the secret between she IQ? Is that what it is? Uh, so it's pronounced chic life, I but it came about from... She, IQ is smart, so she's smart with life. That's what I thought. That's why I thought. <laughs> I know you said she life. I saw that, but then I saw when I wrote it, I was like, that's she IQ. So she's yeah. smart what I thought in my head, but I was like, okay, let me just ask her. That is yeah. very, very unique. I know for a fact that there's nobody out there with that same website. So the guests should be, the listeners should be able to find you with no trouble. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much. Well, everyone, ooh, that was an awesome hour. I know they will agree with me that you came from a different angle too. That's a, a different angle than most people. I mean, it's a similar angle, but I like where it went. I, I like the direction that it went. And I love all the little nuggets that you've given us. I, I learned so much from my guests. It doesn't make any sense. I'm telling you. Looking good. Or rather, feeling good versus looking good activities. That's my takeaway. Things that make you feel good. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much, Bronwyn Shotino. It's been, it's been real. It's been real. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, that was, you heard her. She's from the future. She came in from tomorrow. She came back to the past to talk to us a little bit about her own struggles and how she has converted her struggles into wins and how you too can do the same. So hopefully you share this podcast with someone who you think needs to hear that, right? And um, and we'll see you another time. Hey, are you stuck in indecision? Is there something you've been wanting to do but are having a hard time deciding how to go about it? Maybe you wanted to write a book, 
you're having issues with your relationship, your kids, money. Maybe you want to quit your job, but you don't know how to go about it. Hmm. You might need a life coach. Believe it or not, I just launched my life coaching business this year. And I'm open to accept clients and we're having free consults. So go to calendly.com forward slash Dr. Lulu. That's calendly.com forward slash Dr. Lulu. And grab yourself a free 45-minute session. And I'll see you on the inside. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Lulu. I just wanted to take a moment to wish you guys a very, very, very happy holidays. I know some say Merry Christmas, some say Happy Holidays. Don't judge me, right? I'm going to go with Happy Holidays because I want to summarize the Christmas as well as the New Year's. But more importantly, I wanted to say if you can hear my voice, if you can hear my voice today, this morning, this afternoon, this evening, I want you to take a moment to look up into the sky and just offer thanks. It has been a very trying year. It's been a crazy year. There's been a lot of loss, too much loss. But even in all of the clouds, there's still a silver lining. The silver lining is that you are here today, living breathing and able to hear my voice. So for that, let us give thanks. Let us hold space for each other, hold space for ourselves, and just say thank you. So this episode drops on the day before Christmas. I want to say thank you for everything, for the blessings of listening to me all year long. I could not ask for a better, more loyal audience, but you guys have been there for me through thick and thin, when I'm crying and when I'm happy, when I'm sad and when I'm jumpy, when I'm energetic and when I'm not. Thank you all so much. So if you're listening to me and you are a woman and you are an immigrant in a country where you live, I want you to send me an email to askdrlulu at gmail.com. I am publishing putting together an anthology and going to publish it in the first quarter of next year, an anthology of women immigrants. I want us to share our stories, to share our love and our journeys and our adventures and the ups and downs of how we found ourselves where we are today. So if you are a woman and you can hear my voice and you are an immigrant, or if you know a woman who fits that bill, send me an email Tell me who they are and I'll contact them or have them contact me. I'm working on an anthology. It is so exciting. Finally, we're going to get something good that we can hold on to out of this year that has been so crazy. Again, I want to wish you and your family and everyone who's dear to you and those who are not a very happy and safe holidays. Remember, you are not stuck at home. You are safe at home. Bye.